Great to be with you guys today. Uh, love this church for many, many reasons and uh, grateful to be back with you. In case uh, uh, you don't know me, I'll introduce myself quickly. My name is Bob Cargo. I'm the director of church planting at Perimeter Church, and we were pleased to be the mother church of this congregation. So uh, Ryan and Megan are just such dear friends and deep friends and uh, so many of the people here in this church. And so just very thankful to be back here and back with you today. Uh, today, as, as you already know, is kicking off a series about uh, Advent, about the coming of Jesus, his first presence with us. That's what the word Advent means, is presence. And so as we do, it's sort of a segue between Thanksgiving this last Thursday and Christmas coming up. And uh, I'm really sort of a minimalist about social media, but one of the Instagram accounts I follow is called Live from Snack Time. And if, if you love the unintentional humor of children, you would love live from snack time. And so on Friday, there were several posts about things that were said on Thursday from live at snack time. One, uh, one little girl said this, I'm thankful for words like awesome because without them, I would have a hard time describing myself. Uh, one five-year-old said, I'm thankful for my brother. Maybe next year I'll be thankful for my sister. Uh, another one, an eight-year-old, this was my MO last Thursday, an eight-year-old said, I'll be right over here if you need me to eat anything. So that was, that was me. But the reason these came to mind, I wanted to bring your attention, is from this one, a little girl named Melise, my heart goes out to her three years old. Obviously somebody had said, what are you thankful for? And she said, I'm not thankful, I'm just tired. <laughs> And, you know, I think probably a lot of us can identify with that, right? Uh, now, it's possibly thankful and tired, but I think a lot of us live life, I would say, chronically tired, right? And it's not just physical tiredness or physical fatigue. It is a fatigue and a tiredness of the soul that really eats away at us, right? It's chronically living life with the absence of a restful soul. I think that's the hard thing. Chronically living life with the absence of a soul at rest. And so that is why we're launching into this series on Advent called Rest, Finding Peace in the Presence of Jesus. I love that. Rest, finding peace in the presence of Jesus. I need a series like this. Uh, maybe you do as well. Uh, of course, one of the key reasons that we're talking about peace during uh, Advent season is this. One of the most famous verses of the Old Testament that foreshadowed the coming of Christ is Isaiah 9, 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, that is the government of God's kingdom, and he will be called what? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and what else? Prince of peace. Prince of peace. And so uh, here's the thing, that is a terrific gospel promise, the promise that Jesus is going to be the Prince of Peace. And in the New Testament, Jesus explicitly claims to be the fulfillment of that promise, right? For example, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest and I will give you peace. Now here's, here's my observation. There are probably some of us in the room here today, and this is the first time we've heard that, that verse from Isaiah and the, the verse from Matthew. 
And, and we're so thankful that you're here to hear those things. And there are probably a lot of us in the room that have heard those verses before. So here's my question. If we know about those verses, if we know about that claim, then why is it that we don't experience it more deeply, right? Why is it that we believe it, but we're not feeling it? That's my question. We believe it, but we're not feeling it. And if you're like me, what you really, really want is this. What if I had a regular reminder that I'm to find my rest and my peace in the presence of Jesus? What if I had that? A regular reminder, a significant reminder, an attention-getting reminder that I'm to find my rest in the presence of Jesus. If only I had that. If only I had that. And you know what I'm here to tell you today is this. God has given you that thing you're saying you want. <laughs> He's given me that thing I say I want. It is a regular, significant, attention-getting reminder that our peace and our rest are found in Jesus. And you know what it is? It is the Sabbath. The Sabbath. In one of the ten commandments of God to summarize all of his law for us, one of only ten, there is this commandment that on one day in seven, it is to be a day of rest, a day of rest. So uh, I don't think anything could be more regular, but my, the heart of my sermon basically is this, that this day is designed to be a reminder that we are to find all of our rest and all of our peace in Jesus. The title of today's sermon is The Design of Rest. In other words, that God has designed us to be people that rest. If you have a Bible, turn with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 5 or look on your device. You're going to see it on the screen, but it might be good to have you have it right in front of you there. Now, today I could have, uh, for example, uh, rooted my message in Genesis 2.2. In Genesis 2.2, it says that God had finished all of his work, okay, all of his work, and so on the seventh day, he rested. I could have rooted today's message in that passage, but instead, I wanted to root it in this command of God for us. And along with the command, there is the promise of the gospel. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. That's word, what the word deutero is all about. So Moses had given the law of God at one point, and then they had wandered in the wilderness for years and years and years and years. And now there's a second giving of the law just before they go into the promised land. And that is the reading of today from Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. So listen carefully as we read the word of God from Deuteronomy. God says here through Moses, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now holy means set apart, different and belonging to God in an even more special way. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is a day of Shabbat, is the Hebrew. Shabbat literally means to stop. It is a day of stopping. You stop unto the Lord your God. On it you will not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may also rest as you do. And here's the reason you do all that. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe 
the Sabbath day. Now today we want to ask just basically two questions. The, the structure of our sermon is going to be very easy. And that is this, what does this command say and why has God given it? Real easy, right? What does this command say and why has God given us this command? But I want the focus really to be on the second question. So it's in answering the second question that you'll see some things on the screen. We'll see why, because I'm convinced that, that we don't keep this command as we should because we don't know really why it was given. We're not motivated to do what God says here. Well, we can't approach the why until we know the what, all right? So first of all, what does this command actually say? And it's very, very simple. This command basically says, on this day of the week, one day in seven, stop working and start resting and worshiping. That's it. <laughs> stop working and start resting and worshiping. So it's not a hard command to understand. It's just a hard command to obey, right? <laughs> it is so countercultural. It is so contrary to the way we want to operate. But it's really easy to understand. On this day, now Sundays in the New Testament, we are to stop working and we are to start worshiping and resting. Now, immediately that brings up this question. It's very important. Are there any exceptions to this rule of don't work? And we in our tradition would say, yes, there are three categories of exceptions to the command not to work. And you need to understand what these are. And they are the works of necessity, the works of piety, and the works of charity. Now, we're not yet into the why. <laughs> we're just still on the what, okay? So the what is simply this. There, we are to stop working and we are to start worshiping and resting. But there are three exceptions to this. And that is works of necessity, works of piety, and works of charity. Now, what do those things mean? Well, first of all, there are works of necessity, right? Somebody's got to keep the electricity going and the water flowing. Uh, hospitals have to function so that sick people are cared for. Law enforcement has to be available. There are things that keep body and soul together. There are things that keep life flowing at a minimalistic fashion and people have to do those works. They are works of necessity. In the Old Testament, an example of this work of necessity was this. It said in the Old Testament, if an oxen that you own falls into a ditch, then it's going to be a lot of work to get him out of the ditch, but you're permitted to do it. Why? Because the oxen may die in the ditch. <laughs> and so it's a work of necessity. Now, you got to make sure the oxen didn't fall in on Thursday and you're getting them out on Sunday. You know, that's just called procrastination. But if, 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 if there's something that is crucial in terms of saving life and a saving property, so to speak, on, a, on a, the day of rest, yes, you may do it. So there are works of necessity. Secondly, there are works of piety. Now, that's an old-fashioned word that basically means works having to do with the Great Commission and the work of God and the worship of God. So things that go into uh, preparing worship, things that go into leading worship, yes, they are acts of work, but they're works of piety. Uh, there are also works that have to do with spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, in fact, for us to all find our rest in Jesus on this day, there are those who have works of piety. 
because those works of piety, of leading to worship and teaching and preaching God's word and sharing the gospel, those things actually point us to Christ. So they're works of necessity, works of piety, and then the third exception would be called works of charity. Works of charity, that would be works of love, works of compassion. Uh, in the Old Testament, let me give you an example of this. In Isaiah 58, Isaiah's preaching to Israel several hundred years before Jesus came the first time. And at that point in Israel's existence, they were very religious, but they were also very far from God. And they were very far from God because of their stubborn disobedience to God about a number of things. And one of the ways in which they were disobedient to God was this. They had totally ignored the command of God found in Micah 6, 8, but throughout the Old Testament, and that is, what, is the God, what does God require of you except this? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Well, these people on their Sabbath, oh, they kept Sabbath and they rested. In fact, they not only rested, they fasted every Sunday, though it's not required to do, uh, rather every Saturday, though it wasn't required for them to do that. And so they were so proud of their Sabbath keeping. But in the meantime, they were not doing works of charity and mercy and justice. And Isaiah says to them, no, this is the kind of Sabbath God wants you to have, and that is to do works of justice and mercy. And so, in fact, this is why Jesus kept getting in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. He would heal people on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees would say, oh, you're doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus would say, ah, but it's a work of charity. It's a work of mercy. It's a work of love. So there are these three exceptions, necessity, piety, and charity. Now, uh, that's the, those are the exceptions, but I don't want you to miss my point. The main point on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, is this. Stop working. You get permission to stop working, start resting, oh, how you want to rest, and I do too, and start worshiping. Those are the key factors. Now, we get to the heart of today's message, and that is this, why the Sabbath? Why the Sabbath? Well, I'm going to give you in a minute four basic reasons for the Sabbath, uh, but I want you to imagine them as four legs holding up a table. I want you to imagine them as maybe four sides of a box. But before I tell you about the legs holding up the table, I want to tell you more about what the table is. I want to give you an, an analogy or a picture of, or, or an illustration of really the heart of what this command is all about. And I want you to see that this command is primarily relational. I don't want you to miss that. This command is primarily relational. And I want to tell you this uh, illustration, this analogy, by telling you a story, and it's a love story. It's a love story, in fact, about me and my bride, who couldn't be here today because she's really sick. She's had COVID, sinus infections, other things, but man, oh man, I'm blessed to have her. Here's the story. I went to seminary in the Chicago area, you know, just two or three months after finishing seminary. I came back south where I grew up, uh, except I grew up in Alabama, but I went to Oxford, Mississippi, where Ole Miss is, to plant a church there. And I'd not been in Oxford very long before a friend who had been really a critical reason I'd moved to Oxford. He was one of the people that told me about that opportunity. And he said, my wife and I have someone we want you to meet. And so they set me up on a blind date to meet Margaret Ann Ruff. 
And I went over to the house of the family that set this up. The, the very first blind date was a dinner with them and then a basketball game with Ole Miss versus, versus Auburn. And so I walk into their house, and I turn, and I look at her, 5'2", brown hair, blue eyes. She looked up at me with those baby blues, and I was sort of a goner from the beginning, you know? And uh, so we dated for a, a number of months, and then, as they say, I outpunted my coverage and somehow talked her into being my wife a number of months later. And in August, the year after we met, this same friend that introduced us officiated at the wedding. And on that wedding... We became husband and wife, and on that day, she gave me something. She gave me this ring right here. And this ring not only sealed our covenant vows, this ring is a sign, right? It's a sign of who I am. I'm her husband. It's a sign of who I belong to. I belong to Margaret Ann Ruff Cargo. And it's a sign that I found romantic love. This is the sign that she is my lover and there is no other. And I'm to find all of my romantic fulfillment in her and nowhere else. And it's a sign that she loves me and she puts her faith in me. It's a sign of all of that. Well, today I want to give you that analogy that the Sabbath is a sign. A sign every week of who you are, you're the son or daughter of the Lord. It's a sign of who you belong to. You belong to the Lord himself. And it's a sign that you are to find everything you need in him. Does that make sense? And that's what I need. That's probably what you need as well. A day-long weekly reminder that I am belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to me and I'm to find all of my needs in him. It's a sign that we belong to God through salvation. Now, this is actually in the very text itself, right? Here in this passage in verse 14, we are given this command. Stop working, start worshiping, start resting. And verse 15 tells us the reason. It says in verse 15, On this day, remember, you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. And so keeping the Sabbath is like me staring in my wedding ring all day long and reminding myself, he is the lover of my soul. I belong to him. He belongs to me. And in him, I'm to find the rest of my soul, the peace of my soul for which I really long. So that's the idea of it. That's the table, so to speak. Now, let's look at these four legs, another way of analyzing what the Sabbath's all about. And you'll see these on the screen, and they'll go by very quickly. First is this. The Sabbath reminds me, that reminds us that we're made for God. So number one, we're made for God. We're made for a lot of secondary callings. I have a lot of secondary callings. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a citizen of this country. I'm an owner of possessions, and I need to take care of those things. So there are a lot of callings I have, but those are all secondary. The primary calling I have is to know God. We are made to know him. We're made to be known by him. 
And it all comes through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a life for us that we couldn't live. He, li he died a death for us that we deserved. He was raised to newness of life for us and gives us newness of life. He reigns for us, and someday he will return for us. And if we put our faith in him and turn from sin, we have everything we need in him. We are made for him, and through Jesus we can know him. So the Sabbath is that reminder that I'm made for God. The second reason the Sabbath is there is this. We are made to work, but we're not made for work. You get that distinction? We are made to work, but we're not made for work. Part of the whole creation mandate is this. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, work the garden, till the garden. You are to be my vice presidents in taking care of this creation of mine. You're helping me manage the earth I created, so to speak. So yes, you have work and God's made you to be a worker. But God knew that this work that we have could be so either intoxicating, it could be so idol-making, or it could be so enslaving that we need freedom from it. And so one day in seven is a bold declaration to say this, yeah, you were made to work, but you weren't made for work. <laughs> you were made for God. So remember that and keep it in mind. Number three, the Sabbath reminds us we are image bearers as creatures. We are image bearers as creatures. And here I want to say two things that sound contradictory, but they go together. We keep Sabbath because we are like God, and we keep Sabbath because we're not like God. So let me explain what I mean by that. We're, we, we keep Sabbath because we are image bearers and we are like God as image bearers. And God, even though he did not need to rest, he worked seven days creating and then he rested. And because we're made in his image, we also work and we rest and we work and we rest. So we keep this command because we are like God. We also keep this command because we are unlike God and we're unlike God this way. We are creatures and only he is the creator. I have two close buddies that I've been close with and friends with since we were in grade school and in high school. We started following the Lord together and we're all three of us have been pastors throughout our years. And beginning, uh, man, back in our college days, we would always get together on a regular basis and still do so a couple of times a year. And one of those gatherings during those college years, I remember we got together and one of my buddies named Mark of those two began to talk about how tired he, he was in life and how hard he was working in so many different things, academically, et cetera, et cetera. And then he said, but I'm really coming in touch with the fact that I'm not the creator, I'm a creature. Now, I can remember when Mark said that, I thought, well, duh, duh of course. <laughs> you're not a, the creator, you're a creature. But I want you to understand really how much of a paradigm shift that is if we really, really will embrace it. We are not creators, we're creatures. Someone as well has put it this way, that most of life of mental health and spiritual health resides in this understanding there is a God and you're not him, you know. There is a God and you're not him because we get ourselves into all kinds of spiritual unhealth and mental unhealth when we start acting like we are creators instead of creatures and we don't remember the limits of our lives. So the Sabbath is a reminder that we are image bearers, but we are image bearers as creatures. So we're made for God, we're made to work, but not for work. And then number four is this, 
It reminds us that our work flows from our rest in the finished work of Jesus, and our work leads to our eternal rest in Jesus. Now, if you're a note taker, put an asterisk beside that one because it is so central. Our work reminds us that our work flows from our resting in the finished work of Jesus, and it leads to our eternal rest in Jesus. Let me explain this this way. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was on the last day of the week, right? It was on Saturdays. Here in the New Testament, our Sabbath is now the first day of the week. It's on Sunday. So why the change from Saturday to Sunday? Why the change from the last day of the week to the first day of the week? Well, part of the reason is this. It was on Sunday that Jesus was raised from the dead. So every week that we meet to worship is like Easter Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. So that's one reason, but there's another reason. The second reason is this. Jesus has now finished his work of redemption. He died for us. He was raised for us. And that so centrally finishes the work of his redemption for us. It is finished, Jesus said. And now, here's what our Sabbath-keeping illustrates. We rest first, and then we work. We rest first, and then we work. And isn't that exactly what a picture of salvation is? We don't work in order to find our rest. We don't work in order to find salvation. We are saved. We find our rest in Jesus And our work from him flows out of our rest. And every Sunday on the first day of the week in which we choose to be resting is a day that we declare to ourselves, everything I do for the Lord flows out of the fact that I'm resting in the finished work of Jesus. I rest in him and then I work from there. And so that is so critical and so important to get right. But not only do we rest in Jesus, we look forward to that eternal rest in Jesus. When Jesus comes back and we go to be with him in heaven, that is when everything is perfect and we find in him a perfect rest of the Lord. And it points ahead and it points back. So I hope in a little way you're understanding more deeply about why this commandment was given will make you in a sense a little more motivated to keep this commandment for your own benefit and for the sake of your relationship with the Lord. Now, let me give you two concluding exhortations as we end this message, and here they are. First of all is this. Decide this issue for yourself, but do not decide it for other people, okay? Decide this issue for yourself, but not for other people. Almost always when people begin to get deep convictions about what it means to be a Sabbath keeper, almost always there's a temptation to become a legalist and start thrusting upon other people the same standards that you have for yourself. But this is one of the most important commands of God in which people have to be clear in their own conscience, but not impose their conscience upon someone else. So decide this issue for yourself. But do not decide it for other people. And then secondly is this, keep the focus on Jesus. Keep the focus on Jesus. Here's the way I would put this, is that, um, that there is in fact a very important thing to do on the Sabbath, and that is this, to really try to work through, um, you know, what does it mean for me to keep this day? Uh, are there works of piety that I should be doing? Are there works of charity that I should be doing? 
What will be my pattern of corporate worship and corporate fellowship? What will be my pattern of personal and private worship and family worship? I need to decide those things and work through all of those things, yes. But in the midst of doing all of that, I don't need to get so caught up in what I do and don't do that I forget that it's really about focusing on Jesus. Uh, years ago, there's a church planting trainer named Steve Childers that we began to have all of our planters take his church planting training. A week-long training, seminar after seminar, day after day. But he always began that week-long series of trainings with the same lecture to begin and to end. And that lecture was basically about this. Keep your heart focused on God. And I like the way he put it in the training. He said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, okay? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And here on this Sabbath keeping, I would say, keep the main thing being this, that you're focusing on Jesus. And here's the way I would put it. I want to read it very carefully. I'll lose eye contact with you while I do because I want to get the words right, but I want you to remember it. This day is a gift from God to focus on Jesus and draw from him peace and rest. Let me say it again. This day, the Sabbath, is a gift from God to focus on Jesus and draw from him peace and rest. I'll say it one more time. This day is a gift from God to focus on Jesus and draw from him the peace and rest that you so deeply desire. Let me end with this. I want to end by reading to you the lyrics of a hymn by Charles Wesley. You probably don't know this hymn. Hardly anybody knows it today. But it's a hymn called Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And what I, why I want to read it to you is this. On the Sabbath, you need to focus on the idea that Jesus is the lover of your soul. And you need to focus on everything he is to you and everything he means to you. So here are the thoughts that should consume us on Sundays. Here are the lyrics. You'll see them on the screen. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. Let me fly and lean onto your chest and into your arms. While the nearest water roll and while the tempest is high, oh, life is like being in a storm. Hide me, oh, my Savior. Hide till the storm of life has passed. And then safe into the haven guide. Oh, receive my soul at last at the end of time. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, oh, leave me not alone. Still comfort me, still support me. All my trust is in you. All my help from you I bring. Now please cover my defenseless head with the shadow of your wing. Plenteous grace with thee is found grace to cover all my sin. Let the healing streams abound, make and keep me pure within. Thou of life, the fountain art. Freely let me drink of you. Spring thou up within my heart, rise to all eternity. Ah, that's what we need. Jesus is the lover of your soul. Every Sunday, have a day-long date with him that you might drink deeply of his love and be satisfied. That's what this day is all about. And if we do it, it will go a long way toward living life in peace and in rest. Let's pray as we close. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. 
Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.